the plan for prayers is that they get answered. That's God's plan. Amen? Are you praying? Have you been praying? Is there something you're praying for? And the, the wonderful thing about prayer is that God guarantees through Jesus Christ that they will be answered. And there's this wonderful passage in the Bible that says, if we know that he hears us, we have the petitions that we ask for. If we know that he hears us. Now, if I'm talking to a friend, I need to be in the close proximity so that they can hear my voice. So if I know my friend can hear my voice, I know that they can hear what I'm saying and what I'm communicating. So if we know that we are close enough to God so that he can hear us, we know that he will give us our petitions. Now the, the work that we have to do as his children is to get into a position that we can hear him and he can hear us. But too often we're not. And we may go month after month, year after year, without God answering our prayers apparently, and we just wonder, is this all there is to religion? No power, no miracles. I'm reading a book that I want to share with, with you elders, and we'll probably need to study it through prayer meeting time. It's a prayer written by a man that was contemporary with Ellen White. And you'd think he's an Adventist. His name is Andrew Murray. I've been reading this book recently, and uh, he, he writes, the title of the book is, With Christ in the School of Prayer. And it is a wonderful book. The only thing that gave him away that he wasn't an Adventist was that he spoke about Sunday school. Otherwise, he would speak about the heavenly sanctuary, Jesus as our high priest, and interceding for us. He spoke about the chapter in, in Luke, chapter 11, where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. I found it such a blessing. And one of the things that is highlighted is that God wants to bless his people with more than just the earthly things. He wants to bless his people with spiritual power. He wants his children to experience divine miracles in their life. That's the kind of God that the Bible tells me exists. And friends, I, I pray that we can know God more so that we know he can hear us. And it's a powerful thing when we know God hears us because if he hears us, he will answer our prayers. If we're close enough to him to know his will and to ask aright, keeping to the conditions, he will answer your prayers. He will because he is God. And if he's not answering our prayers, if he's not answering my prayers, Maybe there's something hindering my closeness to God. Do we have the projector going? Title of the sermon today is actually part two. It's the Exodus and God Almighty. And this is part two. Part one, just keep praying. There was a picture at one time. Well, just keep praying. We looked, we looked at um, the amazing account that the Bible gives us. And one of the reasons I'm going into to this kind of history and archaeology of the children of, of Israel and, and Joseph that brought his, his father and his brothers into Egypt is because um, we need to have an answer to people that say this, these stories in the Bible are just made up and they're exaggerated. You know, and that, that they try to explain the uh, miracles by, you know, some natural phenomenon that are uh, described in the book of Exodus. The, the story of the Exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt is the most awesome story of deliverance in the whole Bible. So wouldn't you think that the enemy would try and discredit the account of that story? Now, if we believe the Bible, and there are still some Christians around that do believe the Bible, but there are many seminaries that teach that there are no miracles that can take place because we, we only believe what we can see. So we need to have an answer. And what we are finding 
lately in these days that we are approaching the soon return of Jesus Christ is that there are more and more archaeological discoveries that are proving that the Hebrew nation lived in the Nile Delta in Egypt. Archaeological digs. It's a hard thing to go and dig in the Nile Delta because it's a floodplain. And so to dig, you need to put up barriers to keep the water away and be able to discover uh, what is hidden there. What God, I believe, has preserved for our time so that we, as we come close to the second coming of Jesus, can realize that this word is actually true. And scientists are coming up with evidence that proves it. And so we looked at this amazing story of how Joseph was taken prisoner to Egypt and he... Um, is able to interpret the, the Pharaoh's dream, and we've, we found out that there is archaeological evidence that speaks about a man who was a leader, a helper, second in command for Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh is named as Pharaoh Joseph, and uh, he um, has inscriptions and artifacts that, that show in this pyramid of... of um, Saka. The location is in Saka. This is the oldest pyramid, and it has record that there was a pharaoh there by the name of Joseph, and fragments of the statue of Pharaoh were found there. And on the base of that inscription, there was a name of a man called Imhotep. He was chancellor of the king of the lower Egypt chief. Under the king, he was administrator of the great palace, um, hereditary lord, high priest, Heliopolis, Imhotep, the builder, the sculptor, the maker of stone vases. National Geographic um, writes about this in 1995 that Imhotep was an architect and he also helped build the step pyramid. So what we're seeing here is evidence that Joseph helped in the building of the largest pyramid in Egypt. And this he was actually worshipped 1,400 years after his lifetime because of the great things that he did for Egypt. What were some of the great things that he did for Egypt? The record shows in National Geographic that Imhotep saved his country from a famine, which is exactly what Joseph did with the help of God. This is the stone that... Um, in Aswan, in the Niles of the, in the um, cataracts of the Nile, which give account of Imhotep, that this is a copy of archaeological finds of the time of the Pharaoh of Joseph, which we're being told was Pharaoh Joseph. When we compare the um, inscription on that stone to the Bible account, we see that there is parallel. There's a description of the distress of Pharaoh because he has a dream. He doesn't know um, what it is and, and what it means. And Joseph, after being two years forgotten in prison by the cupbearer, suddenly the cupbearer remembers that there was somebody that helped interpret his dream that got him out of prison. And Joseph said to the cupbearer, please remember me when you, when you get free. And as it so often happens, even a friend will forget you. And so he comes and interprets the dream, seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, and the seven skinny cows eat the, the seven fat cows. What does it mean? And Joseph gives the interpretation of the dream. And he says there are going to be seven years of plenty, Pharaoh. You need to stock up with all the grain you can. You need to set up storehouses. You need to, to build granaries to hold all of this plenty that will be given to you. The God of heaven is giving you this dream so that you can prepare. And Joseph was a part of it. As the Pharaoh said, well, who can we find? Who can we find that would be so able to do what needs to be done than Joseph? And so Joseph is put second in command. Pharaoh says this about Joseph. Genesis 41, 40 to 44. You shall be over my house, and according to your word shall all my people be ruled. In other words, Pharaoh is saying, whatever you say, the, the way we should govern Egypt, you go ahead and we'll do it, Joseph.
the throne will I be greater than you. And he made him ride in the second chariot. So Pharaoh has the first chariot and Joseph has the second, which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. That's what the Bible says. Do we believe it? Yes or no? And archaeology is coming up with evidence that shows that there was such a man that saved Egypt from famine. There. God is good. If we can believe the story of the Exodus, that, Jesus, that God was with them, Jesus was with them, and that God parted the Red Sea at one of its deepest points, and had prepared for them a place for they, where they could go over on dry land. If God can do that, he can do anything. God is almighty. I praise God. That's what my Bible tells me. So there was the Pharaoh that knew Joseph. That was the Pharaoh that said, yes, bring your father. You have a father, you have, you have family, bring them into the land. And they were given the best of the land. So that means they would live there, and they came, fought, um, 70 of them, 70 of Joseph's family. His father came, and all his brothers, and their children, 70 of them came, and they grew to be a mighty nation. They lived there. They built houses there, and uh, archaeologists are finding evidence of those houses. They're now built in a different style. They're built in the exact place that was given to them the best of the land the bible says you shall have and your family will have the best of the land and that was goshen and so archaeology is digging around there and finding this amazing evidence now because of this i got so excited i've become now subscriber to the biblical um, biblical archaeology society and i have this article ancient israel in egypt and the exodus i love it Manfred Bitek, those of you that have been hearing about what your children have been watching and uh, learning in my Bible class in KJA will know that we are talking about what? What are we talking about, boys and girls? The Exodus. And we have been watching videos on it. Aren't you jealous? Well, one day I might show the video. There's a video, one hour and 20 minutes. And that video... And there's other videos that you can find on the internet about um, the Exodus and how they try and uh, explain every single plague and the, the parting of the Red Sea by some, you know, natural phenomenon. So it wasn't really a miracle. But these archaeologists in Biblical Archaeology Society, Manfred Bitek being one of them that writes in this particular article, look at it, ancient Israel in Egypt, evidence. Manfred Bitek is one of the most prestigious and well-respected archaeologists. He's an Austrian. And you can go on the internet and watch some videos on his um, findings. It is so way above my head. He, he is so good at his stuff. And he's, he's got maps of the place, ancient maps of the Nile Delta. And he'll show you plans of houses that were, that were built by the Israelites. And I say, praise the Lord. And there are some articles that are written. I just want to um, share with you the, from the introduction. Margaret Walker, the editor of um, the magazine, says, The Exodus is one of the most dramatic events in the Hebrew Bible. The flight of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and their miraculous escape across the Red Sea is traditionally viewed as the single event that gave birth to the nation of Israel. So let me ask you a question. Do you think the Jewish people are interested in the Exodus? Yes or no? Are they interested to know if it really happened or not? Yes or no? Yeah, they are. That, because that's their heritage. And um, they believe the Old Testament. And then she goes on to say, the biblical narrative of the Exodus is a fascinating account that can be supplemented by additional historical sources. This book, taken from articles in Biblical Archaeology Review magazine, considers texts and archaeological evidence from the second millennium. Let me tell you that the second millennium before Christ is exactly the window in which the Exodus took place. 
I, won't, I don't have time to go into it today, but we can calculate it to the year that the Exodus took place according to biblical evidence, biblical reckoning that the Exodus took place 1,445 years BC. That we can know for a fact. And so they are saying here that they find evidence of the Israelites in Egypt in the second millennium before Christ that describe Israel and the Exodus. Just show you some of the pictures of some of the archaeological finds. Kunste Historisches Museum in Vienna. That was German, by the way. Uh, what does Kunste mean, those of you that know, know German? Kunst. Art. Okay, so it's, it'll be the Historical Art Museum of Vienna. This is what you see here. Now, this is a 19th century um, painted copy from the museum in, um, in Vienna. And look at what it shows um, a people being present in Egypt and how they are dressed. Do you notice their multicolored costumes? This was typical of the Israelites, the Hebrew people. Amazing. And then there are um, archaeological finds in an article by James K. Hoffmeyer. And his article is called The Archaeological Context of the Exodus. Can you see what is um, being uh, depicted there? What we actually see, friends, is men are in hard labor, in mortar and brick. And this is what we read in the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verse 14, that they labored building bricks. And it wasn't just easy labor, it was hard labor. That was the lot of the Israelite slave. Now what we see depicted here in the lower extreme right of this 15th century BC wall painting, 15th century, that's exactly the time of the Exodus. There is a painting from the tomb of Rechmeyer, mayor of Thebes and visor of Tutmosis III. Now Tutmosis II or Tutmosis III are most likely the pharaohs of the time when Pharaoh ordered all the babies to be killed and then later on Tutmosis III, the Pharaoh of the Exodus. But we'll look at that in my next sermon. What we see here, can you see the, the top, uh, the top corner, can you see like a, a man or three men with something in their hand? Can you see that just depicted there? Like that. There are three men and they have their arms out like this. They're holding a rod. And the description of what we see here is that these are taskmasters. They are overseers. And they are warning, this is from the um, archaeological um, review. The caption that is underneath this painting says, The rod is in my hand. Be not idle. This refers, of course, to the Israelites. The painting shows the various stages of brick-making process. In the upper left of the bottom register, a Syrian prisoner, slave, draws water from a pool. Others among them work the moistened mud with some sort of tool. Other workers carry and prepare the mud in a bucket. On his shoulders to the brick-makers who shape the mud into bricks, the bricks are then stacked and left to dry in the hot Egyptian sun. When the bricks are properly set, they are carried off to the building project. And it goes on to show that others are stoking fire with a stick so that others um, and others with uh, bellows are, are making um, a furnace to melt uh, bronze ingots to make a f the molten metal for poles and uh, for gates that would be used in the... Um, building that these slaves had to engage in. The Bible tells us that the Israelites were put under heavy labor. We can read, if you open your Bibles in Exodus chapter 1, we can just look there briefly, that Pharaoh sees, in verse 9, he sees that the people of the children of Israel are mightier than we, he says. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and come, and it come to pass that when there fall out war, they join also in our enemies, with our enemies, and fight against us. You see, this Pharaoh had record, had account 
of what Joseph had done for Egypt. But what was happening now is that the Pharaoh that knew Joseph had died, and this new Pharaoh was getting worried because these people were a blessed people. They were exempt from the taxes that even the Egyptians had to pay because they had sold their, their cattle, they had sold their possessions, they had sold their land, and they'd even sold themselves so that they could buy grain. The Egyptians themselves. And the Israelites were exempt from that because of the favor that the Pharaoh that knew Joseph had given the Israelites. And so you could see that... Um, Somebody was thinking, hey, this is not fair. How is it that God's people, or these people, these foreigners in our land, have better conditions than we do? And it, I, I read in this little book that, um, those of you, how many have seen this book, The Exodus? Okay, your children will have taken it home. Boys and girls, don't let your mummies and daddies get a hold of this book. It's yours, okay? The only time they can get a hold of this book is if they want to read it to you, Okay? Because some of the little ones can't read as well, okay? So parents, it's their book. But I was reading in this book that um, Ellen White, this is a compilation of the description of the Exodus and the uh, time of Joseph in, in uh, um, Egypt and compilations from uh, patriarchs and prophets and so on. And it's, she says there that Joseph was wise and he allowed the Egyptians to pay a tax instead of having sold themselves um, into, as it were, serfdom. But this Pharaoh now says, we're going to make these work. We're going to make these people work. And the Bible says, they did set over them taskmasters, Exodus 1 verse 11, and they afflicted them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities. So what we see built around in Egypt was built by the Jews, was built by the Israelites. Because it says so here in the Bible. Now if archaeologists are finding evidence that they existed, we put that evidence together with what we read in the Bible and we see that the Bible is true. I don't know about you, but that makes me excited. You know, when you go to, to um, Egypt and you, you go and you see the Red Sea, when you see the wilderness, um, my, Petra and I, we went to, on our honeymoon, we went to uh, Egypt, and we went to Sharm el-Sheikh for our honeymoon. It was the first and last time I've ever been. Petra did most of the, um, uh, the fundraising for that. She was working in a bank in Germany, and I was a student, so I didn't have much money. But we went there, and we went to what we thought was Mount Sinai. But regardless of that, because we later found out that it's not the real Mount Sinai, as the children can tell you, we were so impressed that this was the land of Moses and the Israelites. And um, so we were close there to the Sinai Peninsula, and we actually went to the traditional site of Mount Sinai. But archaeologists have not found any evidence that the Bible speaks about there, so it's not the real place. But in other areas in that country, Moses exist, Moses lived. And the people of Israel wandered through that desert to get to Mount Sinai in northwest Saudi Arabia, which was where Midian is. We were reading our Bibles. We were reading the, the account of the Ten Commandments, Petra and myself. Wow, that was a while ago, wasn't it? Not as long as uh, Jane and Herb, though, right? Seems a long time ago. But we were there, and I tell you, it was such a, a moving experience. To, to, to think that this is the land of the Bible. If you ever get a chance to go to Israel or to go to, to Egypt, if, you know, if, if, it's, um, if there's peace enough to, to be able to go, it's really such an inspiring thing. But now archaeologists are proving the Bible to be true. This painting in the tomb of Nakht in Thebes um, describes all kinds or depicts all kinds of work in the fields. The Bible says in verse 14, and they made their lives bitter, that is the Israelites had their lives made bitter, with hard bondage and mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. What kind of service? All manner of service in the field. So look what we see here. We see depiction of slaves 
working in the field. This too was, was the lot of the Israelite slaves. This 19th century copy of a wall painting from the tomb of Nacht in Thebes. Um, slaves are gathering grapes, the upper right. That is a depiction of them picking grapes. Further to the left, in the upper register, three slaves stomp on the grapes in the vat. And so the biblical account rings true in archaeology. But Pharaoh, this Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph, decided to try and kill God's people. Who do you think was inspiring him? Pardon? Satan. Do you think Satan has stopped trying to kill God's people? No, he hasn't. Look at what Pharaoh did. He ordered his armies to kill all the male babies. And that's interesting, isn't it? Didn't somebody else in the New Testament try and kill all the male babies? Herod, Herod the Great. There's a, you know, friends, when we understand that the story of the children of Israel in Egypt, their exodus and their wanderings, the Bible tells us is an example for those who have come to the ends of the world. What that means is that you have going on, you have type and anti-type. You heard that? This is an amazing way to help us understand the Bible. So what that means is that you see something happen here, it's type. What that means is there's going to be an anti-type. Anti-type means that it's in the place of the type. It means it's the real thing. So what, uh, an example of type and anti-type would be in um, the building of the sanctuary, so the, the tabernacle in the wilderness. That was a type. That was a model of the real, the anti-type, which is in heaven. And so what we're seeing is the story of the Exodus. You read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. Paul says that everything that happened for them was for our admonition, for our example. They were types. So we see indeed, the Pharaoh kills all the babies, the male babies. And in, in the New Testament we read that um, the same thing happened. Why? To get rid of the deliverer. In both cases... A male baby was to be born as a deliverer. And so we see that Moses is in fact a type of Christ. The whole story is a type of the people of God, us today, God's remnant people, as we approach the second coming of Jesus. Think of that, and hence the reason for my series. Because we are implicated in this ancient story. And so they were, they were beaten, they were whipped, they were in hard bondage, and it was prophesied. The story is so beautiful. You read the end of, of, of uh, the book of Exodus and the beginning of, uh, the, sorry, the end of the book of Genesis and the beginning of the book of Exodus, and, and you see that God is in it all the time. He's in charge. He predicted that the Israelites would be there for 400 years, but then there would come a deliverer. And Pharaoh got wind that a deliverer was going to come. He got the news. Angels, Ellen White says that angels had communicated to the Israelites that there would come a deliverer. And so like in the New Testament, all the women were expecting to, to give birth to the Messiah. So in the Old Testament, women were expecting to give birth to, to the deliverer. And Satan worked through Pharaoh to try and stop that from happening, happening. But did he succeed in stopping a deliverer to be risen up? Let me ask you a personal question. Is the devil trying to stop the deliverer coming to you? He is, isn't he? Don't let him. This story tells us that in the darkest time of the children of God, there comes a deliverer, a deliverer to set his people free. What dark experience may you be going through? What dark experience may I be going through? May we be going through? God will send a deliverer. He is God Almighty. There is nothing that the devil can do to stop his plans. And so the Pharaoh said, kill all the male boys. 
and he ordered the Israelite midwives, hey, anytime you see a little baby boy, kill it. If you see a baby girl, let it live. The devil was at work through the, the most powerful leader on earth at the time. And the midwives are actually named. You know when, when God names somebody or God names a place, pay attention. It's significant. And you know that God knows your name. And these women were counted in good favor with God because they didn't do what Pharaoh said. Are we brave enough to do what God says and go against the, the flow? Go against the popular idea. Go against the popular way to, to really um, get people to come to church. We can talk about that maybe a little later. And the Bible says, it's an amazing account. Pharaoh says, you know, comes to these women and said, didn't I tell you to kill all the baby boys? And the more I look around, the more baby boys I see. What are you doing? And they say, come up with the story, well... The, 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 Hebrew, the Hebrew women are just so strong that we can't get there fast enough and they deliver their baby boys before we're even around. The Bible says that God had them in favor because they didn't fear the Pharaoh, they feared God. Oh, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we need to fear God and give him glory because he is mighty. But the lesson is in the darkest time of slavery in their life a deliverer was about to come and that deliverer was a baby boy that was born into the family of the the priest of Levi a descendant and the, the mother the Bible says that he was a good child he was a, a strong child and the mother looks after this little baby for as long as she can trying to keep it quiet so that the, the Pharaoh and his soldiers wouldn't hear and come and kill him but after about three months she, she realized that she couldn't do it any longer and so the Bible tells us how God sends a deliverer how he does it in such a unassuming way but yet such a such a, a divinely ordained way simple but powerful tender and vulnerable but untouchable because God is watching and so, Moses' mother makes a little basket. Can you imagine the grief, the pain of, of all, all of the mothers that had their babies killed? There was a dark time for God's children. And so she, she lets him go and she doesn't even want to see. She lets, lets him go for the last time. And this is the deliverer that is just floating on the Nile now in those reeds. And little Miriam, his older sister, in tender sisterly love, understanding the prayer and the, the plan of her mother is keeping watch from a distance and seeing what will happen. Isn't this an amazing story? And it's true. So Pharaoh's daughter is taking a bath and one of her servants finds this little um, basket and shows Pharaoh's daughter that there's a little baby inside. Do you think that Pharaoh's daughter was not aware of what her father was doing in trying to get all the babies killed? Do you think she didn't know? But as that baby, that three-month-old baby was crying, asking for help, asking for motherly attention, somehow something became alive in that woman maybe a motherly instinct that God had placed there said this is a Hebrew child she knew it but she said I will take it and so Miriam comes along and says please ma'am shall I get you a, a nurse to help you look after the baby I mean look at the plot and Pharaoh's daughter says yes and so Miriam runs and goes to get the mother. Moses' mother comes and Pharaoh's daughter says, Please look after my child. I will pay you good money 
to look after the child. Can you imagine the joy <laughs> in that mother's heart? She's getting paid to look after her baby now. What do you think that mother did? She knew that she had the deliverer in her hands, that her, the deliverer of Israel was back in her house again. And nobody could touch him. And she was getting paid. What do you think she was doing every waking moment of her life? Those 12 years that we're told that she had her son. What do you think she was trying to teach Moses? What do you think she was telling him about day in and day out? Remember Moses, there's only one true God. There's only one God who is powerful to deliver. Don't believe in all of these strange gods that you see around us here in Egypt. There's only one true God and he has sent you. He has sent you to be a deliverer. Can you imagine how much effort and energy she puts into training little, Mo little Moses? We should do the same with our children. We should have every one of our children in our Adventist schools. Did you hear what I said? I'm a pastor and I go and teach them Bible. I know what they're being taught. And I'm teaching them the truth about this miraculous story. And I don't just tell it to them once. I show it to them in more detail. I show them archaeological proof. I, I let them see videos. I was so touched when I got a whole pile stacked full of cards saying, Thank you, pastor, for being our pastor. Thank you for coming and telling us about the Bible. One little girl even wrote, she said, Thank you, Pastor, for being the window to Jesus. Do you know what that meant to me? We need to be teaching our children that God isn't just a, a, a Father Christmas that we pray to when we're in trouble. He is our loving Father that we can come into His presence. And he can give us the joy of his presence. And you know that to have the presence of God is to be saved. And if we are in the presence of God, we know that he will answer our prayers. Oh, how I want to be in the presence of God. We must send our children to our Adventist schools. Oh, but they're not good enough education or, or they don't have enough, you know, um, sports equipment or they don't have enough computers or they don't have enough this. If God thinks we need any of that, he will provide it. In fact, KGA has just got a big new um, delivery of iPads for them to be able to use. There's, but the best, the best is that our families and our churches and our school would be working together, teaching our children you know what? We may be few, but we are God's people. And because we are God's people, we have nothing to be afraid of. And so Moses, as you grow up, and I'm going to have to let you go one day, Moses, I want you never to forget who you are. You are the deliverer that God has sent. God had a plan, has a plan for you. What is the plan that God has for you and for your children? It is to believe in God that he can work miracles and that he is a savior of all mankind and we share that news with everybody in our street and in our neighborhood. I'm sure you believe as much as I do that this church should be packed to overflowing. One of the reasons why it's not packed to overflowing has to do with you and me. Now don't start pointing the finger because when you point your finger in one direction you have three pointing back at you, yourself. There is something that God is calling us to do so that he can finish his work and send the deliverer to his people. What is it that we need to do? The enemy is working, trying to destroy God's church today, to destroy God's people. Are we going to sit back and let him do it? Thank you, sister, for saying no. You know, I look at you and I see some of you and I, I know some of you are going through great difficulties, great trials. Do you want me to tell you something? I was awake last night. I couldn't sleep because I had such an overwhelming joy in my heart 
from having heard the, the word of God being preached on Friday night at the downtown church. And there was a young man that was so discouraged and so depressed at the downtown church that you know how when you go up to somebody, you greet them and you say, hi, how's it going? And they give you that stern look that could, you know, throw daggers. Or, you know, that you know something is not right. And you, and you feel, you actually feel the, vi the vibration, as it were, almost, of his bitterness, his anger, resentment. Kind of, it was, he was oozing, this is, the, his body language was oozing, where is God anyway? Where is he? I can't see him. And so, I didn't have time to talk much with him then, but afterwards, after hearing the word of God, did you know that the word of God is the time, the sermon time is the time when you should be praying that God would speak to you? So don't stay away from church. What is the point? That's why I asked the elders to come and pray for me. Because it's not my message. This isn't come and join Pastor Farah's club. This is the message of God. So after the, 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 the sermon, usually we're so tired on a Friday night, right? Aren't we? Usually we're so burnt out. We've been getting up early and going to work and rushing here, rushing there. You know, some of us have gotten sick because we're rushing around too much. And so Friday nights we're tired. And usually on a Friday night I never stay around and linger because Sabbath is when I need to preach and I need to get my heart ready. I need to be on my knees pleading for the Lord to speak. Because if he doesn't give me something to say, I've got nothing to say. And sometimes you'll notice that. But pray for me. So as I was coming out and I was going to go out of the building and go, um, go, go home, I had a distinct thought in my head. I love it when God puts these thoughts in, in my mind. Don't you? And the great thing is that the more you read the Bible and the more that he does that, the more you recognize his voice. And you say, yes. So I heard this voice, this thought come powerful in my head. Go talk to him. And you know, it was, it was a, a powerful message. I was filled, yeah, I was filled with the Holy Spirit because of hearing the word of God. You see, friends, what you get out of church depends a lot on your attitude and what you come expecting to receive and what you are praying to receive. It does. So don't stop coming to church. For what reason would you allow the enemy to trick you into staying away from the place that God has promised to give you the most blessing? God says in his word, go look it up in Hebrews. Don't neglect the meeting together as is the habit of some. You miss out. There's joy. You know, what a joy it is to see people that are, are together in the name of the Lord. You know what a joy it is for me to come and do Friday worships and see the little kids with, with their, their elbows on, on the pews looking attentively. They're not always looking attentively, but when they're looking like this and they're looking intent at my at my face and I see them with those little little childlike eyes listening attentively listening believing everything that is coming out of my mouth it's an encouragement to see one another is an encouragement and so when we don't see somebody we should look out for them and so I went and spoke with him I don't know how I didn't write it down on a piece of paper I didn't plan what I was going to say to him. But all I said was, brother, count it all joy when you come into various trials and tribulations. And I just poured out Holy Spirit-driven words that said to him, count it joy. Why are you suffering? Because the devil's on your case. Because you're doing the right thing. He was baptized recently. The devil won't let you go. He'll discourage you. Do you know that sometimes the devil will put thoughts in your mind that make you feel like I want to give up? Have you ever had those? Don't raise your hand. I have. Don't let him do that. But the Bible says, count it all joy when you come into various trials and tribulation because the trial of your faith, that is more precious than gold. And you will get patience. And I just shared from the Bible. I don't have time to go into everything I shared. 
But then I remembered what I, what I had read in Psalm 118. Psalm 118 says, look, we have to speak positive things. We have to realize that God, God's mercies endure forever. Amen? God is merciful. He's a miraculous God. He can see what's going on in your life. He is not blind. You are his child. He loves you. He wants to help you. He wants to put miracle working power in your life. Do you want it? And so I read for him, I, I read to him just, it's so powerful, all I can do is share it, forgive me. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. What are we supposed to do? Psalm 119, 118, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endures forever. Give thanks to God. And then the, the next couple of verses, look what it says. Let Israel now say that his mercy endures forever. Verse 3, let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endures forever. Verse 4, let them that fear the Lord say that his mercy endures forever. I called upon the Lord in distress and the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The thing that really struck me about those few verses is it said God was telling, you say it, go on, say it. Say it and there is power in the mere fact of us saying and giving praises to God. And I was encouraging him. And I said, look, is there anything that can separate us from the love of God? And I went to Romans 8. No, there isn't. And so I read it to him because I didn't want to miss a word. And you know the words there, but they are written for our encouragement. Amen? They are written for us to realize that we have an, an almighty God. That the devil is defeated. Let's live and act like it. Amen? But sometimes we go around with our, with our hands, with our heart in our hands, dismal, depressed, and going over and giving ourselves a lot of negative self-talk. Do you know what I'm saying? You kind of run over in your mind, it's bad because, at work because the boss is giving me grief. It's bad at home because my wife doesn't understand me. It's bad because the kids are playing up. I don't have enough. I've got gas to put in. God is powerful. If you know he hears you, if you know he hears you, you know you have the petitions that you ask for. Quickly, Romans chapter 8. I'll have to wrap it up quickly here. As it is written, verse 36. Oh, no, no, no. A little bit further up. Verse 31. What shall we say to these things, if God be for us, who can be against us? So we're talking about the mighty God that took the children of Israel out of Egypt. If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is, of course, nobody. But as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yes, it may be, but the Bible still says, count it all joy when you come into various trials and tribulation. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can stop God's plans from being fulfilled. And you know what he said? Well, I'll tell you what I said to him. I said, thank you so much for encouraging me. I said that to him. And he laughed and he smiled and he said, no, pastor, thank you for encouraging me. But the very fact that God, I answered the voice of God that said, go talk to him. That's all, that's all I heard. I didn't hear the verse. I didn't hear any idea. It was just go talk to him. And I opened my mouth and that's what came out. It was powerful to me. Yes, it was powerful to me. I made myself available for God's service. And you know what? I don't know, but I'm just sharing my heart here. But I went through an experience of three hours on Friday just writing out a little paragraph for the children in a book that I gave them. You know that was a hard thing to do, sit there for three hours to write in every single book by hand. I'm not telling you this to, for, you know, say, well, good passing is right. No, no, no. It's because I had to apply myself. I had to be determined to finish it. I don't know how many, how many children do we have? 
about 60. We had about 60. So I did it 60 times. Wrote out a whole paragraph. Saying, you are, you are very important. You are very special to God and to me and to everybody. And I wrote down the little verse that says, Luke chapter 1 verse 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. That's my message for the children and for you. With God, nothing shall be impossible. But because I could have been doing other things, I could have said, oh, I, I need to go and prepare my sermon. But I don't know, God bless me. My arm was aching, but I kept on going and I finished. And to, to call out the names and give the little books into their hands and see the little kindergartens and, and the, the, the first and the second and third grades look, look up and, and hear their name called and the pastor gives them a little gift. I don't know, it was good bonding time for me. But I was taking time in doing something that God asked me to do for the children of our church. And I did it with love. I was kind of thinking of every name, every child. And I was thinking about different things. I could have written a whole paragraph and saying, hey, you know, you're such a good artist. And boy, I love the way you answer my questions. I could have done all that, but I really didn't have that much time. And I believe that God blessed me because I gave extra time than I normally would from doing the devotion for the kids at worship. And so he blessed me in the evening. And then he blessed me and I couldn't sleep. I was on a high. It was like I was on some um, spiritual drug or something. I was talking to God. He was talking to me. He was telling me what I should do to improve my ministry. He was telling me who I should be praying for and I did. And do you know what happened? I started crying for two hours from midnight till two in the morning. I was praying to God and I, I, I couldn't sleep. I said, Lord, you know I need to sleep to get some rest. I have to preach tomorrow. But I'm just so happy talking to you. Please don't stop. And I know that because God was listening, I knew God could hear my prayers. I knew that he was answering. It can be the same for you. I'm nobody special, believe me. I'm sinner just the same as you. But God is a mighty God and he wants to send the deliverer. God is almighty. He is sending the deliverer right now. Do you want to receive him? He's called the Holy Spirit. This is the greatest gift that almighty God wants to give to you and me. Now, you see, God has called me to the ministry. My dad didn't want me to come and be a pastor. He's happy now, but at first he wasn't. And I want to tell you, as I look into your faces today, I'm glad that I haven't listened to the voice of the enemy that has been using all kinds of means, all kinds of strategies to get me to give up. I thank God that I haven't listened to that negative voice. And so I'm here today to say, as the words do in Psalm 118, let everybody give thanks to the Lord. Amen? Do you want to give thanks to the Lord? Do you want to receive the mighty deliverer that God is sending? Oh, my friend, he will do that for you and he will work. You know, the greatest miracle is that you come together with Jesus like this. That's the greatest miracle. And that's what gave me so much joy last night. And that is what is giving me so much joy in sharing the word of God today. God is almighty. Will you seek him? Will you search for him as never before? Will you pray for our church, for those that have moved away, for those that have gone away disgruntled? Would you pray that they would come back? Would you pray with me? Because that's what I was praying last night, with tears. God put a love in my heart for everybody who's missing from the pews here. And I thought, that's a miracle. Because I'm not capable of loving anybody because God is love and he's the only one that can make me love. He can do the same for each one of us. How many of you want to, to join with me in believing that our God is all, almighty and that he, gives, he will send us a deliverer? Will you join me? So don't stop coming to church. Don't let the devil stop you. 
the, the, le- the, the more people that stay away, the more discouraged the ones that are here get. Did you notice? And we start trying to find reasons for, what, for um, you know, whose fault it is. It's the devil, and we're listening to the devil. And some are being used by the devil. I know I've been used by the enemy. God forbid. We're here to be used by Almighty God. Amen? How many of you right now, I'll just close, are willing to stand for God and say, I will not let the devil stop me from coming to church. Do you want to stand and make that commitment? It's not because of Pastor Ferraz. You... I, I hope you realize in my ministry, I have never wanted to, to speak anything that was my own idea. It's only God's. Amen? And I asked the elders to come and pray for me in acknowledgement of my need. But I think it may be symbolic of all of us that we have this need to know that God hears us. Friends, we have a mighty army just standing here for God. Would you say amen and hallelujah? You know that Ellen White says that where there's just one conversion, there would be how many? There would be hundreds if we were just close enough to to Jesus and love one another. That is what would make this church grow. So I am standing here before you today, appealing through the Spirit of God to your hearts that you would not let the devil do anything to keep you away from coming to church. Because when God sees that, when He sees that we're serious, He will start doing something. He will start working that miraculous power of His presence in your life. And you will really actually start liking coming to church. You'll start wanting to come to church because you know that He is filling you. And so you won't let your tiredness keep you away. You won't even let sickness keep you away. Ellen White, one time when she was at the doors of death, She was brought on to the platform at Battle Creek. And she was pale. She looked like she was death herself. But she got up to speak. And God gave her power. The devil is trying to destroy God's people. Don't let him do it. Don't let him put you and me to sleep. Amen. Look, we are standing here in the sight of God. Committing our lives together. To not let anything keep us from God's house. And from loving his people. I have a dream that before I would ever be taken away from being a minister in this place, that it would be at a time when it's bursting at the seams. A few of you said amen. Please. Are we yearning for the souls that aren't here? God alone can give you and me the love in our hearts for those people. Otherwise, we're too busy. Oh, we're too busy trying to pay our mortgage. We're too busy being too tired. Friends, we need a revival. We need a a, a revival. Are coming back to the Lord. God is almighty. And thank you for standing. So I look forward to seeing you every Sabbath. And when you do that, God will give you the energy and the power and the ideas to bring others with you. Amen? Let us bow our heads as we pray. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are an almighty God. Lord, we, we don't just talk about somebody who doesn't exist. We don't just pray, we don't pray to somebody who, uh, to a piece of wood or stone. We pray to the God of the universe who created everything by his word. He just spoke it and it came into existence. For the parting of the Red Sea, he just, you just blew with your nostrils. That's the weakest puff of breath that um, a being can give. And the parting, and the Red Sea was parted. Father in heaven, there are a lot of casualties. There are many martyrs that have, are giving and have given their lives for Jesus Christ. But Father, sometimes it has been said that it's harder to live for Christ than to just die once for Christ, to give your life. Father, we are here today because we realize that we're under attack. We don't have Pharaoh's armies around us, but we have Satan's angels trying to keep us away. So please, Lord... Let us have a new experience with you and know that you are mighty and know that there is nothing that can keep us from the love of God. We thank you for your promise. We accept it today. And we look forward to the mighty things you will yet do for us. 
We're looking for true conversion. We're looking for love, dear Father. Please send your spirit of truth, your spirit of love, your spirit of power, your spirit of comfort into our hearts today and always. Give us a fresh experience, we ask in Jesus' precious name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.